Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Do you have us going up there, Mr. Mr. Bill? All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let's see if I can get there. All right. You there? I, I, I didn't hear any more pages turning, so I assumed that you were there. All right, here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If the Lord will help me, I'm going to try and uh, put the burners on tonight and try to get through chapter 8 and chapter 9 and hit some of the highlights and move forward. Uh, I think you'll help me, but uh, you know how I am. I sometimes get chasing these rabbits, and then it's, uh, it's difficult to bring it all back in. But I'm going to try tonight. You ready? Chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Who is like the wise person? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Let me stop right there and, and just comment on that. Have you ever, in, 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 do you know anybody? Have you ever seen anyone that they always look like that they've got this sense of frustration on their face and on their, on their I mean, you, you can see them from a distance. You can see them coming. And it's like, I like to run from people like that, don't you? Yeah. Uh, but there are people like that. And you know, the reality is, is that many times it's because they don't have the wisdom that they need to be able to walk through the circumstances that they are facing. And that's the reason the scripture tells us that with all of our getting, we should get knowledge and we, could, we should get wisdom. I've taught you this in the past, but knowledge is the revelation of the truth. It, it's information. Uh, you've heard me say many times, the truth will set you free. But the reason there are so many people that have not been set free is because they won't acknowledge the truth about their situation. You can't be set free until you're willing to acknowledge it. You can't be saved, for instance, until you acknowledge that you are a sinner. You, you, you cannot acknowledge these things in your life and work on them and get victory over them until you recognize who you are and what needs to change. And until you do, it's going to show in your countenance. It's going to show throughout your life. People are going to know that there's something missing, something wrong, because it shows in your countenance. And what the writer here, what the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us is a man's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Let's try this for a second. Everybody look up here and everybody get the biggest frown that you can get on your face. Just, just really frown. Just, I mean, just, 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 there you go. Just like Sharon's doing. I mean, that, man, that's an ugly face. That, right, Terry, oh my goodness, that, that's scary. Anybody else? And then all of a sudden, now change that and turn it upside down and smile just as big as you can. Put a big smile on your face. And if you're like most people, something happens in your body chemically, actually, that causes you to feel better. I, you know, it's crazy how our body works, but it works in such mysterious ways. Uh, I was having some neck pain one time and went to the doctor, the chiropractor. I need some, you know, whatever it is that you need to do. And you know what they told me to do? They said, 
go exercise. Just if you go exercise and walk and stretch those muscles, they'll stop hurting. I said, but they hurt. They hurt too bad to walk. And they said, you don't understand that your body has the ability to heal itself. And if you're hurting, if you will stretch and if you will exercise and if you will walk and if you will do those kinds of things, your body will respond to that and that healing process begins. And, and that's really what he's saying here about wisdom. He's saying when, you, when the light comes on, do you remember a time ever in your life when you were struggling with information and you, you didn't really know what it is that you needed to know and then all of a sudden... The revelation hit you. I mean, it came to you, and immediately your countenance changed. Your whole attitude changed because now you finally have discovered and uncovered the wisdom that you need to flow through this difficult circumstance. And so that's what he's talking about. He said, man's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Don't be in a hurry. Leave his presence. And don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative. And who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. You might want to mark that in your Bible. For every activity, there is a right time and a right procedure, even though man's troubles are heavy upon him. Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle. And wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun. At a time when one man has authority over another to his harm. Now let's stop and comment about that. He's talking about being in subjection to those who are in authority, in, in government authority. Now, I have to tell you that there are times that having to submit myself to some of the craziness of our governmental system just absolutely drives me batty sometimes. It really does. And yet, the Scripture tells us that we are to be sub subject to the laws of the land. And so we create a positive experience for ourselves when we obey the laws of the land. And when we don't obey the laws of the land, it creates negative situations. As an example, let's talk about speed limits. I don't know about you, but I'm glad we have speed limits. Because if we didn't have speed limits, everybody would just drive wherever they wanted to drive as fast as they wanted to drive. I'm glad we have lanes to drive in. You know, one thing I don't understand about this generation, nobody ever taught them the proper way to, to drive on the interstate. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Have you ever noticed how many people drive in the left-hand lane and stay there? 
It doesn't matter if they're driving 30, 40 miles an hour, whatever. They don't ever get out of the left-hand lane. When I was learning how to drive, I was told you always stay in the right-hand lane unless you need to pass someone and you put your blinker on, you move into the left-hand lane and you pass and then you put your blinker on and you pull back into the right lane. Nobody does that anymore. It makes me want to run them off the road. How about you? No, I'm, I'm only kidding. I, I wouldn't run them off the road. But, but there's an example of the chaos that can ensue when someone refuses to do what is right. The other day, I'm driving down the road and someone's riding in that left-hand lane and all of a sudden some dummy comes up on the right-hand side and starts weaving between all the traffic and almost caused an accident and the accident would have been caused because of the individual who was driving in the left-hand lane instead of getting over the right-hand lane like they should have. So there are laws in this land that we are to abide by because it it maintains order. It, It causes things to move as they should move. And when we don't, then chaos ensues. Well, that's the way that it is in life. And so he's saying, you'll be much better off if you will abide by the laws of the land. And that way, the authorities aren't going to be chasing you down and trying to find you or give you a ticket or take you in or arrest you or whatever the case may be because you are abiding by the laws of the land. And he says, the king's word is authoritative. In other words, the law is authority. You can't fight the law. You can try, but you can't fight the law. So you have to abide by the law. I remember one time several years ago, I got pulled over by a police officer, and I was convinced that I was not speeding. In fact, I knew that I was not speeding because I knew where this police officer sat every day. And so I was abiding by the speed limit. But this car comes speeding by me on the left-hand side. It was a four-way, four-way road. And, and before he got up to the radar, he got in the left-hand lane and turned left, leaving me to go by the police officer. So he hits the lights and pulls me over. And I said, sir, I, I know that you're going to suggest that I was speeding, but I was not speeding. It was that car that went speeding by me just a few blocks up there. And he said, I didn't see anybody but you. And you're the one that's going to get the ticket. And I said, well, I don't think I'm going to pay it. And he said, that'll be totally up to you. If you don't want to pay it, that'll be fine. We'll just give you another one. If you don't pay that one, we'll give you another one. If you don't pay that one, we'll give you another one. And we may come to your house. And we won't be bringing birthday cake either. He said, you have one other option, and you can go to court and fight it. I said, that's what I'll do. Set me a court date. Gave me a court date. Went to the, the, the courtroom that day went in. And when I got there, the lawyer came over that was appointed for me and said, I hear that you're you're not going to pay this ticket or you're fighting this ticket. I said, that's right. He said, well, you can either pay the $30 that the ticket is, but if you lose, it's going to be like 300 bucks. And he said, we haven't won one all day long. What would you like to do? I said, I'd like to pay the 30 bucks and go home to my wife if you don't care. 
You know, I'd already practiced all the things that I was going to say to the judge. I had my story down. I mean, I had it all in line there. But I discovered that just abiding by the laws and the authority of the king is better and allowed good things to happen in my life. He said, because you can't say to the king, what in the world are you doing? The one who keeps the command will not experience anything harmful. That's what I was just talking about. And, and a wise heart knows the right time and the right procedure for every activity. Say every activity. How many? All of them. For every activity, where is it? There is a right time and there is a procedure even though man's troubles are heavy on him. And what does that mean? When a, a man's troubles are heavy upon him. It is possible for us to get into such a, an emotional state of mind that we just start doing what we think is the right thing to do and say. And oftentimes, if we will step back from the drama and step back from the traumatic event that has caused this emotion, we'll make better decisions because we will have the opportunity to think those things through. But there are times when we just, man, the, the moment hits, and when it happens, our, our reaction time is immediate. And oftentimes we'll say things that we shouldn't say, and we'll think things that we shouldn't think. And we'll do things that we shouldn't do. And it will just step back and really look at the circumstance. Then we will discover that there is a right time and there is a right procedure to move through that situation. But, you know, we, we can sometimes be very impatient. And we want to say things that we shouldn't ought to say. Now... Donna and I, through the years, we've kind of had to learn how to fight. And we don't really fight, honestly. I mean, she's only hit me two or three times. And I, that, no, she's never hit me. And I've never hit her. But we've disagreed with one another from time to time. And, I, and if, you've, if you've never had uh, anything like that in your relationship, then God bless your soul. But we've, we've been at odds before. And when we first got married... We didn't really know how to fight. And so we just fought out of our reactions. I don't know if you know what I'm saying, but I mean, it just, it's just there. It is boom, it's there. And when it hits, we're in reactionary mode. And, and, and so we start saying this and saying that and doing this and doing that and, and pouting up and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. It's all emotional and it's reactionary. And really what he's teaching here is, is that it is seldom ever good to react in those moments. We're almost always better off to sit back and think about it and reflect on it. And you know, it's like those two ladies I told you about in the very first church that I ever pastored. They, 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 I, I say they hated each other's guts. I don't know if that's entirely accurate. I think they hated every, everything about the other one. They, you know, not just their guts. They just didn't like each other. 
And they would stay on each side of, of the church and they would never come together and, it, and never talk to each other. And when they did look at each other, it's kind of, you know, one of these kind of things. And I don't know, I don't know what happened, but one day we were just having one of those Holy Ghost hold down services. You, you know what I'm talking about? And the Holy Spirit was moving and, and we had the altar service and people were praying and weeping and crying and, and good things were happening. And these two ladies, they were on the opposite sides of the buildings with each, uh, from each other. But finally, one of them caught the eye of the other one and they just kind of gave this glance to one another like, I'll go if you'll go. Kind of one of those things. And kind of shook the head, yes, and... They got out of their seats and they came down front and they met in the altar and they started weeping and crying and apologizing and hugging. And I'm just standing there. I didn't know that much about the situation, but I knew something significant was happening here. And when it was all over, we got talking about it and, it and it all came out you know that something had happened years and years ago and they couldn't even remember what it was that happened but they'd been angry with one another all these years and went out of their way not to talk to one another or see each other or touch one another or greet one another and it was it was just idiotic and it all was birthed out of a reaction there's some situation that they couldn't even remember what, what caused it. And when if they'd have just stepped back, and if they'd have realized that there's so many other things in life more important than this nonsense, they wasted all those years being mad at each other. And when they finally came together in that moment, God healed that, and they realized how beautiful their friendship could be. And so that's the kind of thing that he's talking about. He's saying, listen, when things, troubles begin to get heavy on you, if you're not careful, you will make decisions and say things and do things that will, be, that will make matters worse. And so, and so instead, he's saying, in those moments of heaviness, step back and analyze that situation. Bring a third party in if you must so that they can hear both sides of the story and analyze what was happening and what was said and, and what was done. And then once you get the information, then respond according to Scripture. And we don't just respond out of what we want. You know, I, I can make up a whole lot of things that I could do that I think might make the better situation, but Scripture gives us principles and procedures for every situation that we will face in our life. It's just a matter of seeking out those procedures and seeking out those, those things that need to be said or done that will restore peace to the relationship. Does that make sense? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it. There's no authority over the day of death. There's no furlough in battle. Wickedness not... What's he saying? He's saying you cannot keep bad things from happening. You can't. Life is going to happen. 
But guess what? We are equipped to face anything that life can throw our way. We are equipped through the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God in us. That there's nothing that we cannot do or accomplish through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. We just have to want it bad enough to put the effort forth. Verse 10. In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place. They were praised in the city where they did so. This too is futile. Because the sentence against the criminal act is not carried out quickly. The heart of people is filled with the desire to commit crime. Let me stop right there. What he's saying is, is that when someone has committed an offense, a crime, and the disciplinary action is put on hold, then it causes everyone else to feel like, well, if they got by with it, I can get by with it too. It doesn't matter that they might be sitting on death row for 25 years or whatever the case, and I'm not trying to get into politics and death penalties and all that. I'm just saying it doesn't matter if, if the bottom line is that, that the sentence has been put on hold, then it's going to cause other people to say, if they can get away with it, I can get away with it too. It's, it's kind of back to, the, back to the traffic on the interstate. I don't know if you've noticed this phenomenon or not. But people tend to all drive approximately the same speed on the interstate, whether it's the proper speed or not. If, if everybody is driving 55, I, I can almost guarantee you the majority of the people be driving in that zone. If it's 65, they're gonna, yep, they're gonna be people that are gonna go, go around and sideways and all that. But most of the time, there is a pace setter. Someone gets out and sets the pace. And if, if the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, the pace setter oftentimes will go 72. That's what I do. And what happens is, is that when you set your, your, your uh, what do you call it? Cruise control. Thank you very much. See, I was thinking about, I hope they don't come after me and give me a ticket now that I've gone public with this. Once you set your cruise control on 72, people tend to fall in behind you and kind of go with the flow of traffic. It's just the way that it happens. And what he's saying here is, is that if discipline is not carried out quickly, then it creates an atmosphere where crime will advance. It's kind of like when I was a kid, we used to get spankings. How many used to get spankings? Anybody here? Most, most people don't spank anymore, and I, I'm not going to get into that either, but I, my mom and dad used to wear me out, and it always happened after church. Always. It's always after church. My dad be up preaching, and my mom be sitting over here, and she'd turn around and her eyes would catch mine and she would give me that, you're going to get it when you get home, boy. 
And I knew. I mean, I knew the look. I didn't have to ask any questions. And when I got in the car, I was always hoping, dear Jesus, let her forget. Or don't let her remember that she promised me a whooping. And you know what made me so mad is that the other mothers in the church would promise to whoop their kids too, but they never got whooped. But when I got whooped, I, when I got home, I got whooped. They never forgot. I've still got calluses. Mom was mean to me. What, what he's saying here is, is that once discipline becomes necessary and has been promised, then carry it out quickly. Because if you don't, it's going to create an atmosphere where others will begin to feel like, well, if they got away with it, I can get away with it too. And then away we go. Although a sinner commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow for they are not reverent before God. There is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I bet you can think of some instances where someone got what I deserved and they got, you know, vice versa. And that's what he said. I've seen it. I say that this too is futile. So I commended enjoyment because there is nothing better for man under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself for this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. In other words, he goes back to that same argument that he's been arguing all the way back to chapter 1. Since none of this matters under the sun, since there is no eternity, since there, and, and again, remember, that was all the knowledge he had then. He, he didn't have a New Testament revelation. He didn't have that. He had what he had in those, in those days. And so in his mind was all of this is futile because it's all done under the sun. And once we die, we die and it's all over. And so you might as well just have as much fun as you can possibly have right now under the sun because this is it. This is as good as it gets. Verse 16, when I applied my mind to know wisdom... And to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night. I observed all the work of God and concluded that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. So what he's talking about here, he's talking about the totality of wisdom. Have, have you ever stopped to think about how different the world is today than it was when you were younger? I, I mean, you know, there was, there was a day not, not many years ago when we didn't have airplanes flying in the sky. 
And, and we, we didn't, didn't, you know, we went to church. I didn't, but I've heard stories of people that when it came time to go to church, you know, they had to hook up the, the horse and buggy. Hadn't been all that long ago that life was like that. I remember we moved into one parsonage a few years ago, and when I went to pick up the phone, someone was talking on it. I thought, what in the world is this? And I discovered that there was such a thing as a party line. It's where you got on and had a party, I guess. I, I don't. You shared phone lines. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm glad we don't have party lines anymore. I can just picture old sister so-and-so getting on there after church on Sunday nights and listening to everybody's conversation. I was in a mood one day preaching, and I told him, I said, I, I have asked the Lord this week to, to strike your phone lines with lightning when you're on there because I said, there's so much gossip that's going on in this church. We got to get it stopped somehow, and I've tried everything I know, so I've just asked the Lord to strike your phone lines. And then I, I said, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, and I was just kidding. But I'm glad we don't have party lines anymore. He said, when I applied my, my, my mind to know this and observe the activity, he said, even though a man labors hard to explore it, he can't find it. As much as life has changed, and here's what he's saying, as much as life has changed and as much revelation as we now have, and progress in our earth, we still don't know everything that there is to know. We still don't know. And that's the reason he said in the previous chapter, he said, he said that's the reason we should not have this mindset of, I just, gonna, I just want to go back to the way that it was. Because if we just go back to the way that it is, think of all that we're going to forfeit that we now have. I like having air conditioning in my vehicle. How about you? But I remember when I used to have to roll the window down and I didn't have a button, I had to crank it down. And some of you didn't only just crank your windows down, you cranked your engine up just to get it running and moving. I don't want to go back to that. He's saying think about all that you will forfeit if all you ever want to do is just go back to the way that it was. I don't want to go back to the way that it was. And Solomon saying, that is a poor mindset. Because not only are we going to forfeit a lot of the advances, but we're not going to experience any of the advances that will come that have not yet come. So he's, he's talking about this idea that we don't, we don't know everything yet that there is to know. This world will continually change and advance and move forward until the day of Christ. Okay, chapter 9. Let's move into that. He said, Indeed, I took all of this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. And people don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Now think about that. We can expect a good future, but we don't really know what that future is going to look like. We, we can't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. And you know that one of my favorite things to say is to expect the best at all times, 
to explore your faith in every situation and to expand those who are around you as you expand your own faith. Expect, explore, expand. Somebody, I read some doctor here not long ago, and he said, here's the key to happiness. The key to happiness is to never expect anything good. And I thought to myself, well, that's stupid. I mean, that, that doesn't align itself with the kind of faith walk that, that I've been told that I should have. Now, I may not get everything that I think I'm going to get, and I may not get everything that I expect that I'm going to get, but I'm at least going to get up in the morning with a spirit of expectation and believe that something good is about to happen. I'm going to live like that. I want to live like that. I don't want to live just wondering if anything good is ever going to happen again. No, I, I want to enjoy. And, and, and he said, people don't know whether to expect love or hate. Look, when I came here six years ago, I didn't know if you were going to love me or hate me. Some of you are still trying to make up your mind. Some of them made up their mind pretty quick. They didn't like me, and so they went on down the road somewhere. But thank God some good people came along and said, I kind of like you. I think I'm going to stick around for a while if you don't mind. But you can't, you can't tell what the future is going to bring until you live it out. I, you know, I hoped that Donna would love me. I, I felt like she liked me when we started dating. But you know how I feel about that. You don't ever love somebody the day you get married. You just like them an awful lot. You have to learn to love people. Isn't that true? You have to learn. She's still learning, but she's working on it. Praise God. I'm thankful for that. But I didn't know, and she didn't know if I, if I was going to be lovable. She had no way of knowing. So by faith, we got married, and we started walking this journey together. But we didn't know what to expect. Yeah, I heard, uh, everybody know who Ed Young is? Ed Young Jr.? Anybody? He preacher. He, he pastors a big church in Texas. Nobody knows who Ed Young is? Okay, a few of you do. He preached a, a message here. Not uh, It's been a few years back, I guess, now. I, I've lost track of time. But he's talking about young couples and young people not getting married these days as young as we used to. I was 19 when we got married. She was 20. I just wanted to throw that in there. 19, she was 20. But you know, my mom got married to my dad when she was 16 years old. He used to get married younger. And now these days, they're holding off marriage and holding off marriage. And, and the, the point of the message of Pastor Young was, get married. Just, just go ahead and get married if you like one another and if you prayed about it and if you believe that this may be God's person for you, then marry and then grow up together. Make a commitment to one another and say, till death do us part and then live in holy matrimony with one another. And he said, if you'd go ahead and start getting married at a younger age, it would cut out a lot of the living together 
and the premarital sex and some of the other things that are preventing you from experiencing God's best because you're never going to arrive at a place where you can say, okay, I think I'm perfect enough now and good enough that I can go ahead and get married. You're never going to get there. I'm still not there, and I've been married 37 happy years. But I'm still learning, and we're still growing together. And so you, you don't know what to expect. So at some point, you just have to step out by faith and start going and start doing it and start walking with the Lord and start saying, Lord, if this is what you've called me to do, if this is what you want for my life, I'm going to walk it out by faith and believe that you will help me and give me the strength and the wisdom that I need to be successful in this situation. And so he said, you can't know. You can't know what to expect. Everything lies ahead. And it's the same for everyone. Now, that doesn't mean you're all going to get the same results. What he's saying is, is that that principle is the same for everyone. That's what he's saying. There's one fate for the righteous, one for the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean, the unclean, for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. As it is for the good, so it is for the sinner. As for the one who takes an oath... So for the one who fears an oath, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. What do you think that fate is? Death. You're going to die one of these days. I'm going to die one of these days. Now, hopefully it won't be today. I'd like to live a little bit longer, but I... I have no say in the matter. I don't, I could go to bed tonight, draw my last breath while I'm asleep and never even know it. I don't know, but I'm not worried about it either because my, my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. I've got a lot to hope for. Amen. I'm not worried about it, but I just can't, I can't control it either. I have no way to do that. So he's saying, whether you're good or bad, you're a saint or a sinner Whatever the case, the fate is the same. We're all going to go that way. In addition to that, the hearts of the people are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living, since a live dog is better than a dead lion. I like that, don't you? You ought to put that on your refrigerator. Live dog is better than a dead lion. Amen. For the living know that they will die, but the dead, I love this, the dead don't know anything. That's a smart guy right there. Don't you think? He's saying, what he's, back to what he was saying earlier, while you're alive, make the most of it. Live. Take the blessings that God has given you and live in the fullness of those blessings. Enjoy your spouse. Stop fighting with each other. Now, whatever that means to you, how many of you remember the Andy Griffith 
episode where the husband and the wife came before the sheriff and all they did was fight all the time, fight all the time, fight all the time. So they made up their mind that they were going to help them not fight anymore. And so they taught them and they trained them and they, they, you know, they tried to teach them that you can. And so they tried that for a while and they hated it. They, they could not stand living that kind of life. And so finally, old Andy, he said, just live however you want to live. And they went back to fussing and fighting and carrying on and they were happy again. Isn't that crazy? There's no longer a reward for them because the memory of them has forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy have already disappeared. And there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. You know, it's kind of dismal to read this. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, really, for all of us, there will come a time when we die and we're put in the grave. There will come a time when nobody really even remembers us. They won't even remember us. Life goes on. I've pastored churches before, and people have said things like this to me. Oh, oh pastor, you're the best pastor I've ever had. I'll never forget you. I, 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 you're, just, you, you're so close to my heart, and I love you so much. And I got, got away from them. They don't even know my name anymore. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we say things in the moment, and we, re, we really feel that. But what happens is, is that life moves on. And so he's saying that all of us will do that. So verse 7 then, go eat your bread with pleasure. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already accepted your works. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if God has not accepted the work of our hands, then there's no use in doing anything anyway. It, it, God has already accepted the work of our hands. He knows our heart. God knows the end from the beginning. And so he knows what's going to happen in and through our lives. Let your clothes be white all the time. Never let oil be lacking on your head. In other words, what he's saying here is get up in the morning and put some clean clothes on. And wash your face. And brush your teeth. I just tell you that I do not know how in the world people can get up and go about life and not brush their teeth. I just, I don't understand that. It's got to be one of the first things I got to do every day. I got to get up, I got to go to the bathroom, and I got to clean my teeth. I don't care if I am getting ready to eat biscuits and gravy. I want my teeth to be clean before I start eating. Put some deodorant on. Make your sm yourself smell good. Brush your hair. Comb it. Get a haircut every now and then. Shave. You too, men. Shave. Let, let your clothes be white all the time and, and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life. 
Nana, I need to love you today like I ain't never loved you before, girl, because I may not have the opportunity to do it tomorrow. When church is over, I'm going to put a, a kiss on your mouth that'll rock your world. Enjoy life with the wife you love. Well, that's the problem. I don't love her. I learned to love her. See, I've gotten carried away now, and my Bible just automatically went back to chapter 7. For what is your portion in life and in your struggle under the sun? Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your strength. Because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in the grave, Sheol, where you are going. Now, we've all heard that passage of Scripture. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your strength. Because there's no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you're going to bother to do it, do it with excellence. I don't think there's anything that irritates me any more than for somebody to do something halfway and then walk away from it and act like they did a good job. God has given us the ability to walk in excellence. Now, he, he, you know, he's given us every tool and the mind to do whatever we need to do for his glory. And so it should be done with excellence. Now, when he says, do it with all your might, what he is saying is, is that you may have to sweat a little bit to get it done. You may have to work hard to get it done. But if it's worth doing, it's worth doing with excellence. Is that not true? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and for this wonderful crowd that came tonight to hear this teaching, I pray that you will allow it to spring alive in their spirit and that you will cause them to be stronger in their faith because of it. We ask it in Jesus' name.